What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Flawed Car Talks, the podcast where Tyler and I, a couple average car enthusiasts, discuss our projects or opinions on anything automotive. What's going on, Tyler? Not much, Cody. Just sitting here on a rainy day, enjoying the nice quarantine. How about you? Same thing, same thing. Trying to stay inside and and not go out and cause any more havoc. Yeah, my brother and I went to the store today, masked up, gloved up, trying to do our part. Good, good to hear. It's nice when everyone's contributing and hopefully we'll uh, put this thing to an end pretty soon. Uh, what else have you been working on the last week? We've got two 13Bs completely broken apart, scrubbed down, soaked in diesel, and uh, we just ordered some new side housings and a couple other parts for it. So for the people who don't know, why don't you back up a little bit, tell us what what does the 13B come out of? So the 13B is a rotary-style engine coming out of a Mazda RX-8. It's the Renesis edition. We have two of them because we have two cars. Nice, nice. The good old Wankel rotary engines. Yep, and uh, finally at about 120,000 miles on the second engine. And we're going to take the two engines and slam bam and put them together. A couple new parts and uh, hopefully get one good running engine. Nice, man. Well, that kind of leads us right into what we're talking about today. Um, except we're not talking about your brother's rotary. We're talking about your RX-8. Right on, right on. Yeah, man. Give us, give me a little bit of background. Just, you know, where you got the car. What is it exactly? My brother's first car. He wanted an RX-8, super big fan of the car, and I was never, I've always been kind of skeptical about the rotaries, but he wanted it, so we got it. Bought it from this guy, Steve, I think, and uh, my brothers absolutely love the car, and I've come to drive it, and it's actually a really nice, solid body, but problem is the engine. So, engine failed, we rebuilt it, couldn't get it running, ended up buying a second car, exact same thing. And that's what he's been driving. That engine finally died, and that's what we're working on right now. But that first car that is now a shell and a roller, it's honestly prime time from the factory, ready to be a track car. Nice, man. I like the sounds of that. So I know you've kind of dove into that project a little bit, um, you know, tearing some things apart and and starting, what's your what's your direction for the car? Where I know you said track car, you're gonna do tracking with it. You're gonna be doing anything else with it. My brother got the bug for drifting before I did. Originally, I wanted to do drag racing, and talking to some guys that drag, and talking to some guys that drag and drift, they think drifting is a little bit better just because every turn is so new, and just hearing people talk about it is something that I myself want to experience. You know, aside from just snowy parking lot stuff. Yeah, man, I think that's a cool way to get into it, you know? I mean, I think everyone's had their times in in college and high school and stuff and going to snowy parking lots. Hopefully, I guess for those of you down in the south, maybe not too aware of that. Um, But be able to go slide around a little bit when, you know, parking lots are completely empty and and it's really easy to, to spin around. So... No, I think that's a great idea. It's an interesting way to get into the sport. Um, I know we've talked a little bit about that, how, you know, how people get into things and, and, you know, a lot of people want to buy their way into it, but it's unique where you're going to 
take a car, just one that was available to you and, and start taking it, putting it together. And, and that's what you're making it out to be. So one, one of the other things that we've talked about off stream is drag racing versus drifting, just in, from a cost perspective, you know, with where we're at right now, it makes a little bit more financial sense to go into something like drifting where you can get into it with more of an inexpensive roller and, and you can still have a lot of fun slide around and things. Um, whereas with, with drag racing, you're not, I mean, you're always trying to hit, hit that next time goal. And there's a lot you can learn. I'm sure on a, on a car that's scaled back at the same time. I mean, it's, it's the same way with drifting with, with how easily you can get into it. I mean, there are plenty of people who grab, you know, like an E36 BMW and well, the differential on it goes sliding on the first day, and for a thousand bucks, they have a drift car. So last year, we got a chance to go up to the Loudon Raceway and experience the Northeast Drift Co's, one of their drifting events throughout the year, and got a chance to talk to some of the guys and listen to what their builds were and what they were doing. And a lot of guys were just saying exactly what you said already: just grab like an E36, an E46, weld the diff, gut the interior, start ripping on it. I am a little different. We already have a roller, and I know it's a solid frame that we'll easily be able to use for drifting and for track. Just suspension-wise, from the factory, everything's so adjustable. You can easily fine-tune it without having to do anything crazy. Honestly, I tend to look at projects and say, come on, how hard can it be? And so swapping a motor, I'm sure I'm going to find out how hard it is. But right now, it doesn't seem all that complicated. And welding for the past 15 so years, I have a pretty good, a fairly good handle on it. There's definitely people who are way superior to welding than I am, but we're trying to decide on an engine and watching some guys' builds of how they do it, it doesn't seem that bad making a set of motor mounts, slapping an engine in, you just kind of hold it in place and make some measurements and boom, goes in your engine. The hardest thing I think is going to be wiring. A lot of guys try to take the RX-8 wiring and add in an engine, and that just gets really complicated because of the RX-8's electronics. It was all CAN bus, and the year we have, they put like so much electronics into it, made it overly complicated. So I'm looking to do like completely gut the car out, harness and all, put in a new standalone ECU or probably off the beginning just go with a uh, with the factory ECU that goes with the motor whatever one we get but we haven't decided on the motor we're kind of leaning towards a V8 just because it's a solid platform the aftermarket is all there cap it off at a safe level and anybody can get in the car and just peg rev limiter all day and we'll have a solid car that won't break down as much yeah I mean no matter what with with all the stuff that we do, I mean, it's everything's going to break, whether it's drag racing, rock crawling, drifting. We're always going to be breaking something, but that's that's part of the fun, you know, go out. Oh, yeah, and it's inevitable. Break it. Yeah. Um, so also to back up a little bit is where are you at with the car right now? I know you've kind of alluded a little bit to it, um, but where where is it actually at? So the car we've got actually sitting out back in a carport, nice and safe and warm. Make sure to bring them inside. They're cold, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got the car completely stripped down. Uh, engine trans is out. It's still got the differential. 
interior is completely gutted. No seats, no plastic, no cloth, no noise canceling anything. It's all gutted down. Only thing that's really in it is the harness and uh, the brake booster still in, in it. So we still have brakes. But other than that, there's not much left in the car. And one of our next things is going to be pulling out the wiring harness, dropping the fuel cell, uh, fuel tank out, and ultimately we'll go to a fuel cell and uh, just start planning and scheming from there. And then once we get an opportunity to go get a motor, you're gonna, I want to try to find a coyote and stick a coyote inside of it. Um, Getting fancy now. Oh, yeah. I want I want a five O in it. Everybody does LS 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 LS. I never hear the end of it. They're a solid platform, man. Yeah, I, 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 I guess it's a solid platform. It's really light. It's easily like three or four hundred pounds lighter than the five O. <laughs> but I uh, I don't know. I just want to be different. Everybody, I mean, everybody does an LS swap. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the things that. That's fun is is every project we get to build and, and make it our own. So another thing that we haven't really touched on is the year of your car. What year is this? I know it's an RX-8. What year is it? So it's an RX-8. It's a 2004, making it the first generation RX-8, which is uh, why we can't really use the electronics. It makes it, it's just a very overly complicated CAN bus system. Now, I know you talked about uh, pretty much thinking on the Coyote aspect, the 5.0, or some sort of V8, maybe end up, ending up changing your mind to something else. Are there any other motors you've considered or maybe originally thought were a good idea and have ruled out, anything like that? We've strongly considered uh, going with a four-cylinder or an inline-six or even a V6, but there really aren't too many V6s that I've really had a liking to that has the aftermarket support that the V8s or the four-cylinders do. And I'm sure there's people that are going to say all sorts of whatever about it. But uh, originally I wanted to do an SR20 DET in the car just because it's small, power. I can get, you know, three, 400 horse be pushing it, but I can get 300 horsepower going to the wheels. And especially in a stripped-down car, it's going to have like a curb weight of like 2,400 pounds, 2,800 pounds. The, that little four-cylinder will spin tires all day. But to get a SR20 versus getting a 5.0 or an LS, like an LS is going to be easily like 500 600 maybe maybe $1,000 to find like a top-notch one. But to get an LS, or I'm hoping I can find a 5.0 for like 500 bucks. but just the SR, to get an import one, it's going to be 1500 bucks. Uh, for a cheap one. So trying to stay on the cheap side, reliability and considering all aspects, probably going to end up going with the V8. Uh, we've considered uh, 2JZ and I've narrowed it down. Like if I was to get a 2JZ, it'd probably be out of a uh, an IS300, which has the 2JZ DE. So it doesn't come with a turbo. It's a little different. It doesn't have the oil squares and stuff that a true... I think it's a GE. Oh, yeah, GE. Sorry. Well, I think the blocks are all GE or GET. I was going to say, the 2JZ, that's a perfect example of of a six-cylinder that has plenty of aftermarket support. A lot of it's a proven drivetrain. 
I'm sure that'd be one of the first things that people say is, what do you mean there's no reputable six cylinders? There's no with aftermarket support. I haven't found any good V6s. Like, there's like the VQ, but, you know, honestly trying to find a VQ that isn't got the bag beat out of it or that doesn't burn a quart of oil every five minutes, you know, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, and if you're going that route, you might as well get the whole 350Z and, and go from there. Yeah, exactly. And then the same thing with 350s or 370s. Like, people who own them think they're worth their weight in gold. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're known cars, and, and everyone wants them. People like the style. I mean, hell, I've even had one back, I don't know, probably five years ago now. I had a 350Z. I believe it was a 2003 or four. Um, I think three was the first year. I can't remember if mine was, which one mine was. Um, it was the touring edition. So it had a lot of the fancier leather interior and stuff like that, but it didn't have any of the higher end stuff as the sports package. I can't remember. I think it's the track package on those. Yeah, the uh, grand touring. Yeah, so I was grand touring with like the heated seats and stuff, but then when you have the track package, that's when you get all the really... Oh, no, toys. The, the, the Nismo edition is what it's called. Well, you have the Nismo, which is like an appearance package. Then you also have the track package. Oh. But regardless, whatever that, whatever the different tiers are, mine was some sort of sport touring model. Yeah. It went pretty good. I mean, it it was fun. It would definitely slide. I mean, just completely factory as everything was, it would still go sideways, no problem. It, it's a cool car, and it's something I considered for the drift build, but pricing out like i've priced out if i were to get or to build the mazda or to buy a new car and to build that out honestly it's all going to come out to be about the same but the difference is is the mazda i don't have to pay for a whole nother car right off the bat like i already have it i just need to buy an engine engine trans i'm hoping that we can get the car at least moving under its own power i don't know how fast it'll move by the end of the summer but I'd like to have it moving under its own power by the end of the summer. That's a good goal. And I'm sure on here we'll keep tabs on that and keep track of you, making sure that you're moving that project along. Maybe every couple months or something we'll touch base, get another podcast on this. Yeah. And just talk about where you're at with the car. Yeah. I'll try to keep pictures coming and get stuff uploading on Instagram. And when we do cool stuff, I think, I think getting the motor and trying to fit that is going to be a really cool step. Yeah, I think it'd be awesome to see and for people who aren't aware of it and for people who've never put a different motor into a vehicle, then it's good experience, especially for you, you know, to relay that for someone who might be thinking about doing that on their personal vehicle or their whatever it is that they're building. I know there's a lot of people out there who they think about all these projects and they seem way too daunting. Um, Then when you actually go to do it, it's not that bad. So it'd be good to get your feedback on that for how hard it is to do a motor swap for your first time. Yeah, and that's it's a big thing that I've noticed recently that I look at things and I say, come on, how hard can it be? And usually it's a lot harder than I make it out to be or than I, like, than I think it is, but it's not as hard as everybody makes it out to seem. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it that's not that difficult. I mean, our background... Being in engineering, people think that that makes all these projects so much easier. But really, when you go into them, it's more of your open mindset to just 
see a task and to tackle it. Yeah, the, the, the big part is being able to see a task, tackle it, and even if you aren't doing exact coming out exactly how you want it, keep pushing through and learn from all the, learn from your mistakes. Like it may not be perfect the first time, but you may learn how to make it perfect the next time. But too many people hit that first wall and say, "All right, well this is it for me. I'm done. I don't want to mess it up more." Yeah, and when I look back on it and I'm sure same thing for you, looking back on some of the difficult projects we've been through really relating to cars on things that seemed way too daunting or everyone made it out to be a, a big hard project you know the all the things that turned out to be much more difficult than we ever anticipated we learned way more on those by the time we finish it and get through that task than on the things that just go well i mean we might be able to go and do breaks and it's like oh man that was really easy and the next time you're going to change out your shocks or struts and for some reason that task becomes huge because then you have to realize then you realize you have to disassemble all kinds of parts in the front end and you didn't realize how much you had to get into it maybe don't know how to put it back together or the little steps that you realize where take one side apart so you know how the other side goes back together stuff like that uh, that you learn over time and oftentimes it's because you really mess something up and looking back on it you realize how much easier it could have been or how, how much better you could have improved it. Yeah, I definitely, and that's, that's a big thing that I still struggle with to, to today is pulling something apart, like a dat, like it, usually every bolt gets back to where it's supposed to go. And it's only like putting a dash back together or like occasionally you find an extra like little screw or something like, man, I could swear I put every single one back in and you gotta take the whole thing apart again just to be like oh yeah it was right here yeah it doesn't take much to mess up and it's important to go back and fix those problems when you find them the uh the old joke of hey i just made it more efficient than than what the engineers could do from the factory yeah. doesn't <laughs> normally play out too well with the cars hashtag weight reduction yeah weight reduction maybe you can get away with that on the interior or something but Anywhere else, probably yeah, should most, go back and take most, a look. Most bolts are necessary, especially suspension components. Yes, I would agree. So, man, you want to give us a little recap on kind of what we talked about here? Yeah, for sure. Touch base on where we're at with the projects. We've got my brother's car that we have the engine stripped down and new parts coming in. Over the next few weeks and months, we'll hopefully get the M1, as we call it, which will be the Drift Mazda. Get her stripped down and ready to take an engine and hopefully buy an engine. Keep pressing on with that project and hopefully by then we'll have the other Mazda running. Not letting any task get, get too daunting and keep us down from completing them. So once again, guys, thank you for tuning in to Flawed Car Talks. We'll be continuing this podcast once again Our goal is 100 podcasts. So this is the second one. We still have a long road ahead of us. The overall message here in this podcast is go start those projects that you have or the things that you thought were too daunting. Just go ahead and tackle them. Take your time. Do as much research as necessary. There are a bunch of great tools out there nowadays. You have YouTube. 
You have all kinds of car forums and most of these people in the car community are around to help you. So even if you're new to it, jump into those tasks, talk to some people, talk to friends. You never know who you're close to that might be heavily involved in the car community and you just may not have known because it didn't get brought up into a conversation. But till next time, stay with us on this journey. There'll be a lot more to come.